one of the biggest missing resources that makes the difference between a difficult experience on the one hand and a traumatic experience on the other is having the resource of time to get oriented to the danger in the situation. What can happen when you don't have the resource of time is that your mind automatically wants to assign the threat to something that is there. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Something that's in the field. So, and this can be, you can access this understanding by thinking about like the 4th of July and veterans who have a big reaction when they hear of fireworks. The connection is between the sound and the trauma response. So the sound is actually not the threat. The trauma is what the threat means. So it's about meaning. Welcome to the Art of We podcast. This is episode number 70. We are going to be talking about relational trauma today and specifically relational trauma that happened in previous relationships. And now you're in a current new relationship, or maybe it's not new, but you're in a different relationship. And the impacts of the past traumas are starting to infiltrate or show up in big or small ways inside of your current relationship and how to work with that. Well said. (laughs) Thanks. So why don't we jump in with some uh, definitions? Okay. Why don't I take a stab at it and you can modify or correct me. Does that sound good? Great. Okay. So in relationship to previous relationships, the kind of relational trauma we're talking about is anything that happened inside of the relationship that had a negative impact in such a way that it still currently lives inside of you in some form. It's a scar, it's a recurring memories, it's something that hasn't been completely healed in your system in some form, so it, it keeps presenting itself, whether it is impact on your confidence, your self-esteem, you have guilt, again, recurring memories, and it's not fully healed. Am I getting close there? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Our view is that these patterns are continuing to show up in order to get your attention so they can be healed. I think it's important to think about what your attitude is about these patterns showing up, because if you see them as a pain in the ass or a source of shame or, you know, making you less desirable or less secure in the relationship, then that's going to create even more problems that need to be addressed too. So, We encourage you to bring a generous and compassionate, welcoming attitude toward these patterns because they can be healed. And they're there because they haven't been healed yet. And there's a whole spectrum of the types of relational traumas that can occur. I just want to call that out from anything from being with a partner who is unwilling to talk about challenging topics with you over and over again, and you're getting gaslit in some form, to really horrifying, abusive situations that have happened to you or incest, or rape, or there's so many different things that are on the opposite end of the spectrum, which are these more grandiose, single event type of impacts. Well, maybe not single event. Maybe not grandiose, but large scale, you could say, maybe. 
Right. In any case, there is a spectrum. And you might say that on the milder end of the spectrum, there are these conversations that your previous partner was never willing to have around like a a sacred cow in the relationship. A, a big one for guys is pornography. Like I'm not, I don't want to talk about it. Mm. Or it could be a different addiction like drinking or could be a person's avoidance of developing a plan for their career because they're scared, you know, or whatever. Right. Or their inability to be vulnerable. And so they turn it back around on you and blame you for a particular need for <laughs> emotional intimacy. Right. So did we define enough of the terms? I think so. I think so. Any other examples we want to give of what it might look like? It could be unhealthy power dynamics. It could be anything inside of a different kind of relationship instead of intimate partnership. Like I feel like I have some residue left over from my career life that I still work with. Another good one is, and this is a subtle one, but withholds. Not sharing a desire with your partner that you have, whether it's a sexual desire or career desire or any kind of desire, out of fear that the partner is going to freak out or not want you to go do that or feel threatened or whatever. Infidelity. Infidelity. Huge one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And obviously, a lot of our relational trauma also stems from our childhoods early on. Absolutely. So we have a whole basket full of different kinds of relational traumas <laughs> that we could be looking <laughs> at here. <laughs> All kinds of opportunity for healing. Yeah. Which is the beauty of long-term relationship as well. Exactly. And I think what we're really standing for here is, one, the capacity for a person to be self-aware enough about different patterns that come up and where they stem from. The importance of looking to see where they stem from versus, oh, this is just what we do in our side of our relationship. This is what's coming up between us. Right. Or this is how two people are and there's no possibility perceived or no curiosity about possibilities beyond how you're functioning. Right. For me, I know when I can see something happening, I can look to see why it's happening. Oh, yeah, that happened in another relationship in a really big way. And it's like, it was very impactful for me. And then I can go to my partner, you, and say, listen, this keeps coming up. I know it's impacting you too in some form. It's really something that I'm working with from my past. Are you open to us working together to help heal it and see the relationship as an opportunity to heal our past relational traumas if you have that set up inside of your partnership? So. It's probably obvious by now, if you're listening to this episode, that this is sort of a very high level subtlety that we're talking about in relationships where in order to really get the most out of the possibilities in a long-term intimate partnership, this curiosity needs to exist to be willing to go deeper. Right. So well, why don't we talk about an example that we have in our relationship? That sounds great. Let's do that. Okay. When I met you, in 2017, it was around two years after your previous partner had had a sudden death. Is that right? About two years? Yeah. You had done a lot of work internally with yourself, not being in partnership, being really going deep in the grief process from what you shared with me. And that level of healing was really obvious when we got together that that was already there. I was grateful for that. And there were also little things that I think were seemed to be left over from that really intense big T trauma experience. So I wonder if you could share a little bit about how you think that still shows up here or can show up here. Yeah. And that's actually a really important point is like, I didn't even know. I mean, sure. I imagine that maybe there was leftover things that I couldn't even see yet, but 
until I was in another partnership, there wasn't the possibility of some of these things coming up. The biggest one for me was the fear of you going away and not coming back. That's what basically happened is obviously I went to bed one night after talking to Mark, I woke up the next morning and he was, he was gone. So it's like this deep internal fear of something happening to you, me losing you. Yep. And there's a lot of beauty in the way that you were impacted by Mark's sudden death as well for me, which shows up in the form of you really perceiving things that a lot of people who haven't had that experience don't perceive, which is like the preciousness of of life and the present moment and how fleeting it can be and how we really don't know if we're going to see our partner again when they go to work in the morning. And so I'm grateful for that. And the concern about me coming back or not calling you when I told you I was going to call you, or I remember we had a pretty massive rupture and when I was on a guy's trip mountain biking and there was something about me not, what I remember is not calling you when I said I was going to call you. Mm -hmm. And I think there was more to it than that, but. Oh yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was also my attitude when I did call you. (laughs) But the point is that these prior experiences that our partner does hold inside of their bodies is a part of what they bring to the table. And so they become part of what we own together as a couple. If the couple can align about, great, your stuff is our stuff, my stuff is our stuff, and neither partner is overtaking responsibility for caretaking or over caretaking the situation or collapsing under the, the circumstance. Like historically, you've talked about sometimes it was challenging for you to meet my request of, hey, can you call me when you get there? Or I have a concern. I just wanted to make sure that you're safe. Can you X, Y, Z? And that sometimes it felt like it was limiting your freedom. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. And then I'm bringing my own scar to the table of how someone tracking me or someone wondering where I am, like what the meaning was when that happened when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Usually meant I was in trouble. And I'm just kind of waking <laughs> up to that in this moment. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so you can see how these two injuries can dance with each other. And so the opportunity is for both of us to integrate these experiences. So do you have anything else to say before we go to a break and come back and talk about tools and tips? I would just say if you haven't already had the conversation in your partnership to have what you're up to together be part of supporting each other's healing around past injuries, it's a really powerful conversation. And that feels like it's also an important context before we go into the tips and tools, because if you don't have that agreement up front or that just like, hey, yeah, let's do that together, then when these situations come up, it's like the tips and tools can only go so far. That's all I would say. Right. So when we come back, we'll share the ways that we've worked through this ourselves, and other things that you can do from our perspective to help heal past relational traumas. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. 
you can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance, and now back to the episode. Welcome back. Before we share ways that we've worked with relational trauma, I want to say that for those of you who have left us reviews on your podcast platform, we are so grateful. I love going in there and seeing your name or even if it's an alias and just getting to read your words about the impact of the podcast, what you want more of, any other feedback that you want to give us. It's so deeply meaningful. So if we haven't already seen your name or your alias, we would so love to get in there and see it. So please leave us a podcast review. We would love it. Okay. So I want to start off by sharing the impact of Mark's sudden loss was multifold, very complex. A couple of things that came up for me. One was I had sleep issues since he died because I had a really good night's sleep and then woke up and found out that he had died. And then two, I felt partially responsible for his death because what could I have done more? What could I have done better? What if X, Y, Z happened? What if blah, 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 all the things. And I remember, Will, like one of the benefits, many benefits of being in a relationship with you is your history around different healing modalities and tools, psychologically, from a psychiatry standpoint, all the training that you've done, all the patients you've worked with. And I remember at one point, and you'll have to tell me what you were actually doing here, but it was really helpful is you had me go really deep and back into the moment that I picked up my phone that morning and it had blown up. There was texts, calls all through the night. My phone, of course, was not, the ringer wasn't on. And you really had me go back into that moment and slow everything way down. And you were with me. And then inside of that memory, we were starting to work with what was coming up and what meaning making I was making in those early moments. Do you remember doing that with me? Yeah, I do. It was powerful. It was really powerful. So this is one one way for those of you who don't have that training. You know, there's a lot of people out there that can support, but was that called a certain thing? Well, I had the privilege to train under Peter Levine in somatic experiencing, which is a trauma protocol where I learned from Peter that one of the biggest missing resources that makes the difference between a difficult experience on the one hand and a traumatic experience on the other is having the resource of time to get oriented to the danger in the situation. So we were looking at that moment in time because what can happen when you don't have the resource of time is that your mind automatically wants to assign the threat to something that is there, something that's in the field. So, and this can be you can access this understanding by thinking about like the 4th of July and veterans who have a big reaction when they hear fireworks, right? So mm-hmm. the the connection is between the sound and the trauma response. So the sound is actually not the threat. The trauma is what the threat means. So it's about meaning. And so mm-hmm. what we were exploring with you was the connection between having a good night's sleep and Mark's death. So seemed like your mind had become connected. It connected these two things together. Right. Good night's sleep equals I'm going to lose somebody important to me. 
if I don't sleep with one eye open, and this is really common in trauma for sleep to be disrupted because obviously sleep is a very vulnerable thing to do from the point of view of mammalian survival, right? Yeah. Your guard is down. Things can happen. In this case, things did happen. Someone died. So it's incredibly common for people to have a leftover symptom of insomnia or at least disrupted sleep from something bad happening while they were sleeping. Right. And it's equated to me double checking to make sure the doors are locked every night too now because I'm afraid of something happening to us and having a loss. So <laughs> so somatic experiencing is one way to work with things. You know, another way that we work with a lot of stuff that comes up for us is something that John Martini, who's a polymath and does a lot of teaching around the world, he suggests that we balance the benefits and the drawbacks. So like the, getting right. the mind engaged in understanding, had I been awake, had my phone been on, what were the drawbacks to that? What would have the drawbacks had been if I was with Mark and really balancing out the story on a cognitive level? Right. Because John's perspective, which we found really helpful, is that there's an emotional charge only when the mind only sees part of the story, part of the picture. If the mind sees the whole story, then the emotional charge is gone. So the cognitive tool can be really helpful too. Right. And if we're willing to, I mean, this can be very hard for people. I couldn't see the benefits of Mark's death until a long time after his death. Like I was such a wreck. Um, and it's even kind of edgy to talk about, oh, what are the benefits of somebody dying? It's like yeah. hard for people to look at that and also hard for people to hear that. But there are benefits and there are drawbacks both. And if we are willing to open our minds and our hearts to expand into a different kind of possibility around the meaning making of it, I think we're already having a really big step forward in, in healing. And if we can do that with our partners and dialogue, that's even better. I think these are two strategies that take a lot of training. I mean, take a lot of time investment in going to a Martini program or right. training in somatic experiencing. But I think that between two people who don't, who haven't done that, to me, the most critical ingredient is curiosity and just a willingness to get the other person's world and to understand what the fear is, you know, to really get to the bottom of it. So if we go back to me saying, hey, can you let me know when you get to the, the mountains safely, you, and, and you're finding yourself being a little bit like, I don't really want to do that. It's like, okay, hold on. Let me really understand your world and what you're afraid of so we can talk through that and find something that works out, that works for both of us, like that kind of thing that you're suggesting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my case, I could let my younger adolescent self feel like I'm getting in trouble if I am asked or like, oh, she doesn't trust me and that's why she needs me to call or you know, seeing it as a cost to me, mm -hmm. I could let that run my system. Or I could practice awareness, breathe into that. Okay, there's a part of me. And it's like, oh, here's this universe in front of me. What's really happening here? If I stop making it about myself and I just bring open curiosity. Defensiveness and curiosity are not really compatible states. <laughs> <laughs> totally. My experience. So obviously there's other things too, like... Seeking out therapy. Sure. Which can be very necessary. What is that that our couple therapist does with? Sometimes she pulls out her little toys. <laughs> her buzzers. Her bu <laughs> EMDR buzzers. EMDR. A lot of really effective, simple 
tools for resolving these intense emotional charges that we carry from the past. Yeah, I found that to be really helpful, EMDR. Yeah. Another thing that we stand for around these pieces is the impact and effectiveness and power that it can have when me and you, Will, are working together to heal these past injuries. For example, I've seen individual therapists, you've seen individual therapists on your own. We also see a couple therapist. And what we have found is that when we go to an individual therapist and we come home and we share some things with our partner, it's like we can share highlights or headlines, but it's like they, they don't fully get the experience. But when we're doing it together, for example, when we're with our couple therapist and I'm doing EMDR, and you're witnessing it with me, there's a whole other level of healing and understanding that can happen inside of a couple. And I just want to speak to the power of that if you have the opportunity to do that in your lives. I totally agree with you. I've been practicing individual therapy with clients for many, many years before a uh, couple therapist challenged me around, why aren't you having the spouse or the partner in the room with the person who has trauma, who's getting EMDR or somatic experiencing or what have you. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, well, that's a crazy idea, but it's really become much more of a mainstay of my point of view of how we need to do this work together. So yeah, amen to that big power there. Yeah, for sure. And even if you're sitting with yourself and thinking about the traumatic event and you're listing out the benefits and drawbacks of that event, trying to balance the story like we were talking about with John D. Martini's work, I think it's so helpful to share that with your partner. Like take the time to actually sit down and be like, hey, I just want to share this with you because it can be really healing to hold it as a we, as a couple. Absolutely. Doing it together. Doing it together. So we hope that this has been helpful and bringing some insight into relational trauma and even if you're noticing some patterns show up in your current relationship, you know, maybe it's time to start to look to see how are these tied back to parts in our histories where we were impacted in a negative way and it hasn't fully healed yet. And are we up for doing that kind of healing together? Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on The Art of We.